So thank you tuning for tuning in today to another episode of the Work Hard Retire Early podcast. I have on Riley Oikel, who is a real estate investor and founder of the Your First Income Property Program. It is a 20-week program that helps regular people like you and me make their first income property purchase. So how are you doing today, Riley? Things are good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Austin, Texas right now and the weather's beautiful and so I can't complain. Good to hear. So first off, just generally, what can you tell us about your company and your work? Can I tell you about my company and my work? Yeah. Like I, I really enjoy what I do. I think that's the number one thing to me. Um, you know, woke up this morning, just excited to vote. Uh, you know, it's Monday morning right now, excited to see what we can get accomplished this week. So I think that tells you a good amount maybe about what I do and, and about my passion and that I really enjoy what I do. Um, ultimately, though, it's kind of like two different services that we offer in the, in the business. One is where we co-own properties with people. So we allow them to be a bit more passive in the real estate investment where they just put in the money, the mortgage, and then we do all the heavy lifting, all the work and kind of put their money to work for them. Then the other service that we offer would be where we just help people to buy their first single property, just like you just mentioned, the program there. We work with around 150 people a year now um, to help them secure their first income property within five months. Um, so those would be the kind of the two services that we offer in the business. So that second service you'd say is kind of like a coaching? It, yeah, it's consultation. So um, we're kind of hired on as a consultant or coach. So uh, I'm going to ask this since I noticed you bring it up on your website. Um, so what benefit would you say coaching or consulting offers over just a Google or a YouTube video? Yeah, I, I would say like, just again, speaking from my own experience, I, when I was on my journey to buy my first one, watched a lot of YouTube videos, podcasts, read books. I think a lot of that information is good. You feel productive, but it's just very broad and not very organized in the matter of, how they teach it to you. Um, I, I found when I went to university, I took for granted how structured the education system was and how, you know, the professor has really laid out chapter one and then chapter two and so on and so forth. And chapter one and two will allow chapter three to build upon one and two. And so it's all in chronological order. Whereas when you're learning something online on the internet, it's not in order at all. You're, you're really just kind of like, scatter-minded, chasing shiny objects. And I found I was stuck in this vortex for two years of just 20 hours a week of just like bopping around and consuming as much information as I could. Um, that's why like a good program format's nice because it's going back to like the nice academic route where everything's laid out in a certain order of how you should be learning it. Um, and my, my challenge at the beginning when I was trying to buy my first was I found I was really learning university level real estate investing, like, you know, it was really, really high end, like learning how to do triplex conversions or build apartment buildings or land development or how to do subdivisions. And it didn't make any sense because I should have been learning grade one real estate investing before university level. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's the biggest separation between just bopping around and trying to figure it out on your own and actually having like a program or course to lay it out for you. Makes sense, the structured approach. So then, you know, follow up to that. Uh, I'm definitely more of a stock market investor myself. What do you see attractive about real estate investing over, say, stock market or crypto? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I'll kind of tie this answer right back into what kind of led me on this journey to start with. 
Um, I'm not against crypto. I'm not against stocks. So it isn't like I'm, I'm like polarized by any means, but um, I'll explain, I guess, why I like real estate a bit more. And and the reason why is when I had transitioned out of my whole maintenance company, I, I cleaned windows as a student and that was my business. I wanted to run a renewable energy business mm. where I, I had to buy like a geothermal drill. And this drill was like pretty expensive. It was like 1.5, 2 million bucks to buy this thing. So I went to the banks to ask the banks for a loan to buy this drill. And I, by the way, like I, I had very little money um, at this point in time. And so I had asked the, the, the advisor there, I said, Hey, what, what's the application process, whatever. And she said, well, you know, um, what do you have for assets? And so I have my $2,000, um, Chevrolet Equinox is what I own at the time, like for my vehicle. Otherwise I don't have any assets. I have like, you know, five grand in the bank, 10 grand in the bank. And she's like, yeah, so we're not going to be able to give you a loan today. Um, but that set me on the journey of learning what are assets and, you know, the banks don't see stocks, unfortunately, as assets. They don't see crypto as assets. Assets are things you can go up and you can touch. They're tangible items. Um, so that's why I like real estate, because I think there's always going to be intrinsic value in real estate. Um, there almost has to be. People need somewhere to live and they're not making more land. So um, that's what I like about it. Yeah. I really like that point about, you know, physically touching assets. You can't exactly take a loan out against a stock. Or Bitcoin. Yeah, and, and you kind of have to investigate, well, why would that be? You know, if, if they're good investment vehicles, why would the banks not allow you to? Um, so, you know, you kind of have to think about that. And, and for me, isn't, again, that I'm against either of those types of investments. It's just if the banks aren't willing to, to loan me money on it, then I have to kind of wonder well, why. Which makes sense. <laughs> So also, in, you know, doing just prior research before the interview, you mentioned you own several properties yourself, correct? Uh, yeah, yeah, I own properties myself. Yeah. And you said you have uh, been able to mostly step away from them, hire property managers. Um, so the property management we keep in house. I've I've thought about outsourcing it, and a few of the properties that are outside of our kind of usual radius. Are, are hired out for, for property management, but a lot of them, the majority of them, we actually just keep in house for our own management. So we, we just have individuals that work for our property management company. And uh, that way we kind of mitigate our expenses that way. Again, makes sense. So I guess, you know, I just had a curiosity and I'm probably putting the cart ahead of the horse here before we get to some of the other questions in the interview. At what point do you feel like, you know, you are able to step away or say an individual investor is able to step away and hire a manager can you after one property too i mean i'm sure there's no rule of thumb but your thoughts on the process sure um i, I don't think that there there's really a rule of thumb um my belief is like it depends on what you're looking for it depends on the asset too if you're looking for it to be either semi-passive or completely passive then you'll probably want to hire a property manager yourself and not do it in-house or do it yourself obviously you'll just have to hire someone though you're giving away sometimes eight to 10% or even more, if you're doing an Airbnb, it's up to 20% of your gross revenue. So, you know, that, that money can add up. And if, if you have a hundred grand, let's say um, a year in gross revenue, which actually isn't that difficult to do with investment properties, um, 10% of that's 10 grand, right? 20% uh, is 20,000. So, you know, at, I get a bigger bang for my buck paying hourly, paying 20, 25 bucks an hour to keep it in house and having what we call a boots on the ground or a gopher, someone that can actually do the work for us. Yeah. 
All right, which again makes sense. So in your experience, you know, in your consulting, you're obviously trying to mitigate a lot of the mistakes that say a first time investor would make. What what would you say is the biggest or most common mistake you would see a first time real estate investor make? Yeah, uh, good question. Uh, the most common mistake, I think uh, I can point to a few, but uh, uh, if there was like the number one mistake, I would say just paying too much. The money's made on the purchase, um, it, whether you're stock here or stocks or real estate, you know, it's going to be all about that purchasing price. And, uh, and, and so you want to make sure that you're buying at the right number. So a lot of people, they just go right on the MLS realtor.com.ca and they, they look through properties and they're like, yep, yeah, okay, well, you know, this market's going up. I can't lose. And they get in a bidding war and there's 40 other people bidding on properties. Like we just found this last year in North America and they spend way too much on the property. They spend a hundred, 200 grand, like it's peanuts. And uh, you know, they don't think like the market might come down, you, you know, right now where it's going up maybe 10, 20% a year, which is just crazy and unsustainable, but they don't think, well, okay, well, geez, if it goes up 10% a year and I'm buying a half million dollar building and I just made 50 grand, that's incredible. They don't think you could also lose 50 grand. So you don't, you know, when they've only lived in the cycle, which is appreciating, they don't think of the depreciation as much, um, you know? So yeah, I would say that that's the number one mistake is just buying um, at too high of a number. We like to buy off market directly from the seller where we can kind of cut through the middleman fees for wholesalers or for, realtors and um you know that, that can save us five percent yeah so out of curiosity you talk about finding off the market deals what are y'all able to to do that or you can, i don't want to say just going door to door or cold calling but what would you say your process is for that yeah there's a few methods i like craigslist kijiji facebook it's also like when, once you're in the inner circle group you know you, you kind of know the other investors in your city of interest where you're investing people just like to sell properties to one another because everyone's leveling up. So you're, you know, first you might start off with single families or pre-construction and condos and apartments. And then naturally you're like, okay, well, you know, I want to kind of level up to multifamily. So now that person sells off their single family portfolio and they level up to multifamily residential two to four unit buildings. And then it's like, okay, got it. Now I'm going to go up to commercial. Now I'm going to go to five to 50 units and now I'm going to do land development or conversions. And so there, there are levels to this. I think at every single level, people usually assess their portfolio, sell off their donkeys, the ones that really aren't performing. But so if you know the other investors that are constantly leveling up and they're really in this full time, then a lot of you can just kind of trade the deals back and forth without needing to use a realtor. That's what I like to do personally. And that's how I bought a lot of my properties is just from other investors that I know. So it's really being in the know and just connecting with people. You can be following other investors in your city of interest where you're investing on Instagram, on Facebook. Usually people are creating stories and they're talking about their properties that they're selling off market because those are like the advertising platforms that they use to sell the properties sometimes. Um, you know, you can also do door knocking. You can send out flyers. I personally don't like to do kind of really either of those as much flyers sometimes, but door knocking, you know, they, they tend to be a bit more saturated and overused. And because of that, they're not as effective. And um, I think it's more effective to just be in the know and know the other investors specifically. Because a lot of the buildings I buy are multifamily and it isn't family members buying those properties. Like, you know, families go and buy single family homes. They don't buy 10 unit apartment buildings to live in with them and their kids and their dog. So, you know, investors are selling to other investors at that level when you're buying multifamily. Always all about networking. 
And it, yeah, it certainly is. I, I can't go and knock on a 10 unit building and talk to the owner. Chances are the owner doesn't live there. So I need to get into contact with the owner some other way. So then also to kind of go back to something you kind of mentioned in that last point, do you usually point for first time investors towards single family homes or is there a preference or just what's in their area? That's a good question. Yeah, uh, I, I certainly have a preference when, when we're working with our students and clients in, uh, in the program here. We, we like to eliminate out single family homes um, unless you're doing like a student rental where you can rent out bedrooms separately because sometimes students are willing to pay five, six hundred dollars for a bedroom and a home that's a five bedroom. So you can and make college, some good money yeah. that way. College or the other option is Airbnb. So you can you know buy an Airbnb and we have some of these too that perform really, really well. Um, and, and you can make a ton of money through your single family through Airbnb or short term rentals. Um, though the Airbnb is a bit more advanced, you're really in the hospitality business with hundreds of guests. The price optimization needs to be dialed in. It isn't nearly as easy as long-term rentals. Just putting that out there, it certainly isn't. If you have a whole home that's dedicated to Airbnb, the other option is student rentals. Um, I, I think student rentals are not a very lifestyle-oriented business. It's really difficult. And as a landlord, you kind of become their parent because it's 18, 19-year-olds that just left home and you're trying to rent to them and they tend to uh, you destroy the property typically a little bit more than your typical mature adult would. I like to rent to working professionals and kind of masters or PhD students that are a bit more mature. That's my kind of demographic of, of a tenant. Um, so with that being said, like I don't like single families because they're overpriced self-contained units. Um, you know, you have to think like a lot of families are competing against that home and wanting to buy it um, and investors too. So the buyer's pool is massive. It's both families and also investors. So that's why we just say, no, single families aren't a good bang for your buck. Um, along with like, if we're going on the opposite end of the spectrum into apartment buildings, which are considered five or more unit buildings, then the rules are a bit more strict. The regulations are more strict. You're also spending a lot more money. It's usually 35% down, could be even more. So you're spending a lot. Not the best kind of learning environment. It's definitely more advanced, you know, for a beginner. So we find the kind of sweet spot for the beginners, a two to four unit building. So duplexes, triplexes, and fourplexes um, tends to be a bigger bang for your buck when we're talking about price per unit, how much each unit costs, um, along with just like the amount that you could put in for the down payment. If you're doing a duplex, you could put in 5%. In Canada here, a, a triplex could be 10%. So much better. So this is, you know, still on the same point, something I see on Twitter quite a bit, recommending multifamily. Uh, do you ever get into the idea or have you ever pointed someone toward the idea of house hacking? All the time, all the time, especially if they don't own their primary residence or they're paying an absurd amount in rent. It, it Depending on where they live, like I, I still rent, to be honest, which some people laugh at me for, but um, I'm not going to be buying a $2 million home in Toronto. So I'm like, you know, for me to pay two grand or three grand a month in rent in Toronto, it's worth it. Um, you know, and, and I want to live in that area. So it's like difficult for me to just like fathom buying the property. Um, so yeah, like, you know, depending on your situation, it may, may not make sense to, to buy the property where you want to live. Um, but if you're living in an area where like the prices are reasonable and you can afford to buy a duplex or triplex and move into one of the units and live rent free and expense free when it comes to the, the property, that's fantastic. That's a home run deal. 
So always hacking when you're starting off, if you don't have dependents in a family, it's usually not the best thing to move into a triplex with your family maybe, but you know, Hey, I, I think that's a fantastic next best step. Yeah. Definitely hear you on that. I'm living here in uh, Tampa, Tampa, Florida. Uh, real estate here is insane to say the least. We are, and we're probably renting for the foreseeable future. Yeah, yeah. Again, and, and you're, you're not alone. I think a lot of people are. If you want to be downtown anywhere important, um, it's going to be a good amount to buy that property. So you have to kind of make that decision. Do you want to buy or do you want to rent? Um, if it's super expensive, usually it makes more sense to just rent anyway. Yeah. This is actually a question that I got on, I think, Twitter the other day, but I'm, I think you just kind of answered Someone asked me you know, whether you recommend buying an income home or your personal home first, but you don't have to make that decision when it comes to multifamily. Yeah, like I think this conversation perfectly explains what we're, what, what you're, you know, um, or, or kind of answers that question. It's like, yeah, you don't necessarily have to do one or the other. You could do a bit of both. It can be a host hacking situation. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think either of those work better. Uh, I personally am more in favor if I were to choose one of those and not look at host hacking as, as an option. Um, I'd prefer an income property, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of funny, like we we joke around because some of our Airbnbs are performing so well that we can't even afford to rent our own Airbnb. It's like some of them are going for like a thousand a night. And I'm like, I can't afford a thousand a night. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't be able to afford that. So I'm not going to be able to. So I, I, I own properties that I can't even afford to rent, which is kind of funny. And, and that's a good situation to be in though, because that rent can go to supplement your own rent somewhere else. Um, so I'm more in favor naturally of like buying the investment properties first and, uh, and then your primary residence later. Cause your primary residence, just like Robert Kiyosaki, you know, the, the writer of Rich Dad Poor Dad writes, um, tends to be more of like a liability than an asset. So um, I'm about, all about like, let's get some assets first and then you, you can get your primary residence that liability second. And just out of curiosity, because I'm sure you are aware of uh, Dave Ramsey. I am. You know, a uh, real estate guru out of Nashville, Tennessee. So just to confirm, someone here who's making their full living off of real estate investing, no debt or is a mortgage okay on a, on a rental? Uh, mortgages are fantastic. I always recommend mortgages. Yeah. Yeah. You want to leverage the banks as much as you possibly can. And I think that's the big benefit with real estate that you w- wouldn't get necessarily with stocks or with crypto. Um, yeah. So I, I would go for the mortgages all day long. I think there's a difference between good debt and bad debt. And, uh, you know, again, to kind of talking about owning a primary residence, like usually that's going to be bad debt. Um, whereas, you know, um, an income property would be good then. It's real hoping to say something like that. There's endless possibilities when you leverage the power of other people's money. There is. Yeah, there certainly is. Yeah, like what we do, again, is joint venturing where we partner with people. And um, it's fascinating because at the beginning, I didn't have much money or really mortgage capability at all to buy my first property. And but, but I had all this knowledge and I had really the time to, you know, I had the time um, to, to put into like mastering this thing and like actually making sure the business ran well. And uh, my passion, everything around that first property kind of uh, 
showed to someone and they were like, yeah, I'm going to partner with Riley. He had the money for the down payment, the renovation, the closing costs and the mortgage. Mm-hmm. So we partnered together. He put in the money in the mortgage and I put in just my, my know-how and my time. And we go on at 50, 50. And then ever since I've been partnering with people, you know, doing 10 to 15 properties a year where, you know, you know I personally couldn't buy 15 properties on my, in my own name every year. The banks would never allow that. Um, but they do with other people, right? So you can be creative there with your financing. Um, my mantra has always been, I'd rather own half a watermelon than an entire grape. So, you know, you know, like, to be honest, I'd rather buy 15 properties a year and own 50% of them than to buy one a year and own hundred percent of that. Um, and, and keeping in mind, like I, I like to buy, you know, properties that I own hundred percent and then some that I own 50% with my joint venture partner. So th- there's room for both in your portfolio. You don't have to do strictly one or strictly the other, but I think that joint venturing is a nice um, addition to the other mortgages that you're able to get on your own. Definitely. Again, goes back to your point earlier about networking also about who, you know, I think the last major question I had for you today. So you talk a lot about, you know, investing for re- uh, retail and single multifamily homes. What are your thoughts on say business investing, like say owning an office building or a strip mall? Is the reason you don't do that? Is that something you look to maybe getting into in the future? Uh, sure, that's a good question. I, I think going back to my point around levels, I recommend whoever's listening to this, you kind of assess your net worth, you know, you assess your mortgage capability, assess your skill set in real estate investing and make the decision for your for yourself. Like depending on where you're at, you'll have to kind of play within your means. Um, and, and for me, my means just don't allow for me to go buy a strip mall yet. Um, being honest, like, you know, I, I think I'm kind of still at the multifamily commercial space, like buying maybe five to 10 unit buildings. And, uh, you know, I'd love to graduate in more of like a 50 to hundred unit building here in the next couple of years. And then after that, I, I think going into like more of a strip mall or commercial setting would make sense. Um, totally think that there's a lot of, um, a lot of high potential in commercial and especially when we're looking at like more of like maybe a trailer park where you, you have a plot of land and then you rent out, um, you know, people pay you rent to rent that plot of land um, or even doing my, my ideal situation would be more of like storage, you know, buying uh, storage units. That's, that's my dream. Cause you don't have to deal with tenants really as much necessarily. So I think there's, there's a lot of potential in commercial. It's just a matter of having deep pockets and being able to, to play the game properly. And like you said, got to level up to your point of it, start small so you can run later. Yeah, that's it. All right. So, of course, one thing I talk about a lot is the best people to learn from people have skin in the game. And Riley, you obviously have skin in the game. You've been doing this for a while, got a portfolio of your own. So if any of our listeners are looking to join your program or learn from you, where can we find you online? Yeah, of course. You can go to um, my website at RileyOikel.com. And uh, there you can kind of learn a bit more about what we do. And you can go to the coaching tab there and schedule a what we call discovery call where we get to jump on a 15 minute free call and just kind of assess where you're at and uh, give you some real estate investing expertise. Um, yeah. So feel free to go there and I'd be happy to, to grab a phone call. With any of your listeners. That sounds great. And any social media or anything they can find you also. Yeah, for sure. Uh, go to my Facebook or my Instagram at Riley Oikel investor. Um, and uh, again, you can shoot me a DM there or a message and we can connect and grab a phone call. All right, well, that all sounds great. Well, thank you very much for coming on today, Riley. Great talking to you. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks.